we are in Ecclesiastes, and for those of you who, I don't know what anybody is, but if you're thinking, they're taking a while to get through this, yeah, all year, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Revelation. We're going to take our time to understand who we are, who God is, and what it all means. And today is a big movement in Ecclesiastes. Our passage today has one idea, but it's expressed in two different ways. The first part starts where we left off last week, which is trust God. And when everything seems to be going sideways and your doubts arise, trust God. It means to trust that God knows what he's doing, even if we don't know what God is doing. That God knows how to run the universe, even when we think we might run it better than him. And if you're thinking, well, who's ever thought that? Everybody. Everybody has. And so we need to learn to trust God in the hard times. For some of you, by the way, that's super easy to do. You were born trusting God. Others of us have questions. I have an eight-year-old grandson with a scientific mind, and every so often he'll say, Granda, I have a question. I'm going, yes, because then we're going, we're, we get to play physics. We get to have all kinds of fun stuff. I don't think God minds it at all when you say, Father, I've got a question. Let's, let's go over this again. Let's look at... Uh, chapter 3 verses 15 through 17 whatever has already been and what will be has been before now he's not talking about iPhones and computers here he's talking about emotions he's talking about experiences there's this myth going about and people will say you've never been let's say mugged on the street so you can't understand my feelings sure it can we've all had the same feelings even though we didn't have the same experience if you want to talk about, was I ter have I, do I know what it's like to be terrified, helpless, fear for the life, uh, wonder what's, yeah, I, I have all that. But I have, I got it in other places. And I can rearrange it to have some empathy with you, as well as sympathy. So he's talking about, this is a universal, everybody's gone through this. It's kind of like whenever a skeptic, and remember I used to be one, the skeptic comes up and goes, well, what about this? And they'll trot out something, I'll look at them and say, do you really think nobody's ever thought of that before? Do you really think you've just come up with the thing that's going to kill Christianity? And they kind of hesitate a bit. And I said, somebody's already said that and somebody's already answered it. How interested are you in the answer? It's a call for honesty. If you're just going to throw out objections, fair enough, we'll stop now. But if you're interested in knowing answers, we move forward. Because the answers are there if we'll look for them. God will call the past to account. This is a biggie. And I saw something else under the sun. All of us have. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity. A, judge, a time to judge every deed. Is there anyone here who has not looked at the world and shrugged, wondering where justice lives? Or perhaps have screamed to the heavens for justice that we don't see showing up? It's true that rich and powerful people seem to live by a whole different set of rules than the rest of us. They seem to be immune to the punishments and the limits that are placed on the little people. But before you go too far down that road, please understand that if you're white, middle class, and upward, you're one of those rich people that does not suffer penalties, others do. You do not suffer what they feel. You have not gone through what they feel. And this is not some leftist propaganda. 
these are facts and figures. This is the way it works. If you, if you go to the FBI website, I can help you find the stats that a lot of people go to prison for, for things that other people <coughs> don't even get charged for, much less put on trial. And that's wrong. And we've seen it a long time. So what do we do? How do we cry out to God? I would say, first of all, think carefully before you call God to come down and judge all the sinners because you're in that group. Uh, it's always, we always want him to judge the other person for what they did, but judge us by our good intentions. No. Let's be very careful what we call God to do. We wonder at times whether God sees us, whether God cares for us, whether we really matter at all to God. And that leads us to a next passage. But before we get there, we need to talk about something. Are we animals? Well, technically, yes. Are we just animals? No. There's where we've got to start looking at some things that the world indicates that there's nothing to separate you from cats and salamanders and rhinos. Nothing, except that you're bad and worse. That is something we are preached to a lot. I have seen, because uh, I went looking, uh, five different professors right now from five different top universities in America calling for the end of the nuclear family because it's harming the planet and calling for the end of all sorts of, you know, a couple of them for religion, calling the end of religion because they think that they've got a system that would work better. What do they all have in common? All of them claim we are nothing but animals and we are destructive animals that are harming all the other sweet animals. It is becoming mainstream. According to the world, once upon a time there was nothing and then it blew up. After it blew up, it self-organized into some things like Saturn and, and puppies. Uh, no, no purpose, no nothing in this at all. It's all an accident. It is, it's from goo to you by way of the zoo. It's just, it is just, a, it is a, a, a mistake that happens somewhere down the line and there you are, you have no meaning, you are random. And there are entire associations now that have formed with great political power to say that we are nothing, we are nothing but a cancer upon the planet. God calls us to guard and keep the planet. So do not react to these people by saying, oh, I refuse to join in. No, no, we're supposed to take care of the planet. But that would indicate that we are superior to the planet. And that's where we run into loggerheads, as the old word was, with some of these organizations. PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, goes so far as to say, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. Leave that up there for a bit. If you go to their website, I did, I, I, I read stuff I don't agree with all the time. That, how are you going to grow if you only read people you agree with? And by the way, sometimes I find out I end up agreeing with the people I didn't agree with, but not here. Uh, they quote the Cambridge Declaration of Consciousness, which I all know you have you probably with you now, where it says, quote, humans are not unique in any way that matters, end of quote. Animal species, if you go down through, you say some species flirt with each other, just like humans. They use tools just like humans. No, they actually don't. They may use tools, but not like us. It's a big difference, but they say this. They say that um, they have mathematical abilities, some limited, 
And according to this declaration, I'm not making this up, monkeys have been shown to be more, more moral than human beings. That is ludicrous. It is ludicrous scientifically in every way. And every example they give can be blown up by a determined four-year-old. But people don't think. We teach people to pass tests. We teach people to survive the year and move on without the critical thinking necessary. And so when people stand up and make a broad assertion, we think we've heard an argument that's been settled. No, you heard an assertion. You did not hear an argument. And there's a big difference between the two. Here's the fact. If you want to ask me, do some animals flirt? Do some laugh? Do some use tools? Absolutely. No species does all of that. And we do it orders of magnitude greater than the most talented of the animals. There is a book with that title by Wesley Smith. You might like to have it about. He details the human cost of animal rights movements. And if you're not aware of this, in the judiciary right now, there are lawsuits trying to, to represent dogs, pigs, and cattle against human beings who eat meat. And they keep getting a little further each time before they're dismissed. And if you're thinking, oh, we'll never get there. How many things now did you think we'll never get there? HGTV last week had their first, you know how it always is. We have a couple, they've been married. They have completely different opinions about everything. And, and now we're going to buy a house together. It's, it's all set. But this week they had a thruple. It's a new word. You'll hear it a lot. Where one man, two wives and considered it as mainstream. Would you have thought that a couple of years ago? No, wait till you see what's coming. We need to understand that we are not animals. We don't just breed wherever we want to breed. There are rules and we limit ourselves. Look at this next bit, because he's gonna address this. I said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see they are like the animals. We'll talk about Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. One dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. It means we're all breathing the same air. But humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. That's what the world says. All go to the same place. All come from dust to dust. All return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. I can remember the first, I was just a boy when I first read Ecclesiastes. I kept thinking, well, this shouldn't be in the Bible. Somehow the editor missed this one. It slipped right in. And don't get me started on Lamentations. And how did Ezekiel get past the proofreader? But Ecclesiastes, that was the struggle. Why would God put a book in there like this? It's because God's not afraid of questions. God's not afraid of challenges. God's not afraid of your doubts. Bring them. He says, he even says that, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Let's talk this out. Measured by the measuring sticks that the teacher in Ecclesiastes just gave us, where did your, you know, what are your material makeup, what air did you breathe, and what happens when you stop breathing it? Those are his measuring sticks. And if you use those, we're like the animals. The only thing is, does something of us survive when the animals do not? A quick primer might be in order here, and I'll try to do this quickly because it bores some people, but just be aware, language changes. Language changes rapidly, 
And the same word that we use now will be nonsensical in 100 years, or it'll change meanings completely by that time. Um, and if you are a stay-at-home mom, we used to call you something else. We used to call you a housewife. But that got very upsetting to women when they said, I'm not married to a house, I'm married to a person. Fair enough, that's a very legitimate phrase. So they said, I'm a stay-at-home mom. The phrase for housewife or stay-at-home mom during the time of Shakespeare was hussy. Which is almost the opposite of a stay-at-home mom, if you think of it. Right? Now, some of you men think you're funny and you're not. Don't use the word. Fair, all right? You think you're hilarious, you're not, you're annoying, don't use the word. It's just an exp showing how things have changed all through history, words change. Even in the Bible, they sometimes interchange spirit and soul. Be aware, at the time Ecclesiastes was written, soul meant the breath that was in you. This breathing that was, was breath but when that stops, you still have a spirit that lived on. And so just be aware, these are not always used consistently in Scripture because language changes over 1,600 years, which is about the time it took to write the Scripture. But there is something, something about us. Like animals, we're both born. We both struggle, and then we die. Have a great day, kids. I know, I know. It seems so desperately morbid and sad that way but we have faith that something of us remains and that's the, one of the differences between us and animals you don't see animals worship they don't have a concept of the unseen that calls to them no matter and by the way people have looked i've, I've read the books and they're they're kind of sad frankly faith is important to human beings it's important to why why? Why is it important? If I believe you are nothing more than a pig, a cat, or a rat, why should I care about you at all? I can kill babies. I can abort a million babies a year and just smile my way through it. Two million, three million, doesn't matter. Or I can join the National Socialist of 1930 and 40 and line up the Jews and shoot them, and then the Gypsies, and then the Romanians, and then the Jehovah's Witnesses, and then the Lutherans, because they also killed them. Why not? It's nothing more than stepping on a bug. And that was a phrase they used repeatedly. And if you didn't know this, the SS had belt buckles that said, in, translated out of the German, God with us. Wow. If we don't believe that humans are different than animals, or that certain groups of humans are animals, we can kill you for your shoes. Why not? You see why it's desperately important that we understand if we're higher than animals or not? It absolutely is. There will be loss of civil rights, homicide, crimes, slavery, loss of sexual boundaries. We're seeing this. Loss of behavioral boundaries. It gives us a license to destroy ourselves and others because we're going to die anyway. Might as well have fun, right? You've heard it. You might have even said it. But what is the result of believing that all of us are made in the image of an almighty, eternal, loving God? Then we bring in civil rights and we bring in laws limiting our own behavior and limiting the behavior of others. It gives us freedom when we bring in those laws because we know everybody will stay in their lane. 
when one of my friends in Scotland will say, isn't it hard going back and forth? They did back in the day when I was going back every year. And they'd say, uh, which side of the road do you prefer to drive on? I said, I find that to be very nation dependent. I, I, I don't have a favorite, except in each nation, I have a favorite. Um, and and they, they got it. But the whole point is, because we have that law, I feel free to drive home today. But why would we have such a law if we're just animals? Hear me, and hear me very carefully. We will either live with the law of the jungle or the law of God. There is no third option. We will either live with the law of the jungle or the law of God. There is no third option. Very few things in the world are black and white with no gray in between, but this one is. As soon as we start talking to, about any group of humans or any human as less than human, they are, we have already crossed a boundary. We are not animals. We should not act like animals. While animals do have, by the way, a certain level of intelligence, and some of them can even have a sense of humor, some of them can laugh, some of them can love, there are huge differences between us. Human beings are the only creatures on the planet that can see a problem before it develops, develop a solution, and apply it. We, we can be planners. We're not, re not merely reactive agents. Also, we're the only beings on the planet that will go and solve a problem even when the solution will not benefit us, but other generations behind us. Fixing a law to protect them, fixing a, a dike to keep the water out of a, a piece of property, learning to think, planting trees that we will never see grow, and talking to people about the love of God, not knowing where that seed will bloom or not. We can plan for the future. We can challenge the mores of the time and call for greater justice, more protections for the weak, and greater freedom for the oppressed. There are no animal species that have these characteristics. None. And I love animals. Don't get me wrong. I love all of them, frankly. There are some of them that, are, that want to kill me. I have a lack of affection for them. It's, a, it's rather mutual, if I, if I think about it at any length of time, which sadly, I do. Think of, for example, you know, porpoises, dolphins, whales, people, they recorded, they recorded whale singing hours ago. You can buy it. Don't. <laughs> Just don't. It's all basically, that's it. It's not poetry. That's it. And then scientists are trying to figure out their mood. You know, buddy, um... I think there are better ways to spend your life than that. Let's let the whales talk to each other and quit eavesdropping. It's not polite. <laughs> but porpoise, well, uh, whales, dolphins, they do have intelligence to some degree, but they don't build hospitals. They don't donate to charitable causes. They don't hunt for the cure for diseases. They don't establish laws and punishment for misbehavior. Only humans, listen, only humans sacrifice their present so that another can have a better future. That's a huge difference. It's a massive gap. The teacher puts a verse in here very much like he does back in chapter 3, verse 12, in chapter 3, 22. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? 
it's, a, it's almost a don't worry, be happy phrase that he slaps in there every now and then of saying, don't despair, we're getting to a point. There will be a point, hang on, the story will get better. Okay? He doesn't want you to, he, he knows he's put us in a dark place right now, and he understands why. So let's look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Again, I looked, and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. And by the way, oppression is not done by the left or the right. It's done by the left and the right and the middle and the old and the young. If you don't put limits on your behavior, you end up oppressing somebody. So let's not make this a political thing. This is a human failing, a fault line in our souls. Again, I looked, I saw all the oppression was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors. We've all seen that. And they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who's never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaninglessness, a chasing after the wind. The, um, there was a comedian slash actor called Paul Lend who died years and years ago. And they got, gave him his own sitcom, which lasted, I don't know, about three weeks. Uh, and he was a funny, he was a witty guy, but all the wit came from horrific pain, if you ever have read about his life. But one of the lines in the sitcom that they would use often is the, the wife would say, how is the, ra uh, the rat race today, honey? And he would say, the rats are winning. And it was always because that was his dark view of all things, but he used it for, for humor. You can feel like the rats are winning. If there's no God, there's no justice, what's the point of our life? And I don't want you to react in a certain way here. Some of us will say, but there is, there is God, and there will be justice in the great by and by. Why do I not want you to react that way? Because for way too long, people who were free told slaves, sorry about your lot, but when you get to heaven, it will be all right, and didn't work to free the slaves. They didn't work to stop the injustice. Because they said, God will sort it out in the end. We are the agents of God. We're supposed to be sorting it out now. We're supposed to be bringing the justice now. Bringing peace and freedom now. Not waiting for the great by and by. I think those, those message people, those ministers were probably, probably well-meaning. I, I don't know. But their message lacked any hope for the future. They would have been stuck in Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 4. We're all going to die and there's no point. So should we just give up and stop and wait for the inevitable? The teacher says, no. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. In other words, all right, this is what we see. What's the worst possible thing you can do? Say, well, nothing we can do. And lock your hands away from action. It's fools, he says. By the way, the word fool in Hebrew is a lot tougher than it is here. It really is. When Jesus said those who call, say thou fool are in danger of hell fire, he meant it. Because then the word fool meant you're not even a human, you're not worthy of being saved. And the guy pulls it here, he goes, they fold their hands. They're not helping the human race, they gave up. I've had ministers call me. I've had deacons in churches where I go to work to, to help them organize and, uh, and better systems. And deacons will say, I did all this, I did all this, I did all this, I planned all this, and then nobody helped. And I said, well, 
It could be God didn't want you to lead it, or it could be he didn't want that. But I want to ask you something else. Are you willing to be as patient with other people as you want God to be with you? Then are you giving up on people? If you are, you're giving God permission to give up on you. I would recommend that you don't do that. That you stay active, you stay engaged as much as possible. There comes a time where we have to understand what we need is what we have. And we can move forward now and should. Even though it's less than what we want, we've got what we need. Look at the next verse. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What's he saying there? My dad famously once said he'd rather uh, that a man sorry, with five children is richer than a man with five million dollars. And when a man asked him why, he said, because a man with five million dollars wants another one. And I'm looking around. <laughs> and I'm the last kid, so I'm thinking, I'm the domino that stopped all of this. That's, I'm the problem here, which was true probably, but that's all right. The world always tells you you need more. He says, if you live like that, you've wasted your life. You've chased after things, and it's after the wind. It's better to have what you have and be at peace with it. Don't, well, I mean, what's the alternative? A never-ending hunger. That you don't know what you're looking for, but you still are compelled to look. Look at verse 8. We're skipping 7 because it just is that refrain. Everything's meaningless, everything's meaningless. Verse 8. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. I want you to think about that for a while. If we live only for ourselves, there, aren't, there is no point. What's the point? If we live for the other, if we form communities of faith, and we, we work for something greater and bigger than ourselves, well then help is on the way. I love this next passage. People read it at weddings. I think we all need to understand it doesn't just apply to weddings. There's something else going on here. One, I want you to notice the math. Two are better than one. Great. Two numbers. We can handle that. Because they have a good return for their labor. Okay, they. So we've quit talking about the one. We're talking about the couple. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Anybody see the math change? All of a sudden, something shows up when two people stand together and say, no, we're fixing this. We're changing this. God enters in to help. Remember, Jesus didn't say, Wherever you are, I am. He said, where two or more of you are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. He didn't want to die to create a world full of lone rangers. No community. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not the way I would have done it. I would let the community people be over there on that continent. Let the introverts each have their own island. Enjoy. But I'm not God. And he did it a different way. You, you hear that opposites attract. Yeah, sometimes opposites attract and sometimes opposites shoot each other. We need a third voice. 
very often as, as I go about places, I'll, I'll meet people who say, you know, how can, I, how can I marry, how can I have a marriage like you guys have? And my response is always, first of all, rather, you know, a bit of periphery, I'll just say, marry Cammy. Oh, Julie. That, there's a lot of truth there. But Cammy and I, I think, would both be very quick to say that without God limiting our behavior, our words, our attitudes, the marriage would not have lasted. Because we are both bowing toward the same God, we are under orders and rules. Therefore, it lasts. Now, I know that doesn't sound romantic, but it is. My eight-year-old grandson, yesterday, uh, whenever I said I'd had lunch with him, thought I'd had, said I'd had lunch with Cammy. And he leaned in and he goes, was it romantic? And I'm going, you're eight. What? When did you become a lecherous Frenchman? Stop it. And I regretted that. I regretted that because then they tried to speak in a Scottish accent and it was, it was comedy and tragedy. Those two things are, are, are interwoven. God steps in and gives your life meaning. I know we want all of our favorite pets to meet us in heaven and I'm not going to tell you I know what's going to be there because I haven't been I, I'm just going to tell you this you're the one he says he wants to live with here and there and he wants justice here and there and he wants love here and there he doesn't want you to wait he doesn't want you to fold your hand and bring ruin upon yourself and your society no God is with you move forward with God but make sure it's with God I work with a lot of law enforcement folk, but I'm not a sworn officer. So if I knock on your door today and say, open up in the name of the FBI, I can't do that. I could go to prison. There are a lot of things people do in the name of God that is not by his name and not by his word. Don't be one of those people. Our writ, our, our brief, the rules given to us are by God are to love others and love God and to love others as God loves them. That's our job. We cannot oppress in the name of God. We cannot enslave in the name of God. We cannot have prejudices and be biased and bigoted in the name of God. We can love. So don't fold your hands. Get to work. Whatever that looks like for you, however you're talented are, the difference in our life and that of the animals is massive. If we believe that God has placed eternity in our hearts and that we have, we have a command from our God and that we will see him at the end of days, that makes us markedly different than the animals. Let's remember that. I'll end today. And Mark, you can go ahead and bring your, your people up. I'm going to be up here another you know, long time, but we like to look at it. Um, I'll end today with the words of, Paul, of the Holy Spirit to Paul. I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit gave it to Paul, and Paul gave them to Timothy. If you would stand for the reading of God's word. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people. In other words, one guy's idea causes pain for others. Plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And that's what separates you from the animals. This is the solution to the human condition. Be kind, be content, be generous, be given, giving, be righteous. Work not for stuff, but for the things that will survive you, survive the planet and survive the universe. May God teach us what we are really hungry for. May God help us place our eyes on the right things. And may the lives we live and the goals we reach for the name of Jesus outlive us, our children, our grandchildren, and the universe itself until all is reconciled before the throne of God.